Good to see all my family here today. Not all of you, but most of you are here today. What Pastor Kevin's talking about is that I woke up this morning, first time, 12.30. Then the second time was 2.30. And I thought I'd go back to sleep, but I never could. So I was up doing my devotions at 3.15. Some of you folks hadn't even turned over the first time yet. But uh, the Lord's been downloading me for, for the past 24 hours especially. And uh, something that I've been familiar with, but I've been once again been, t been taught of the Lord. I, in my devotionals now, I, I run all over the Bible. I used to be a stickler for going from Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. But now the Lord's released me to be able to go all over the Word and read where I want to for the hour that I read. That's, that's a lot of fun. So my wife, well, I was talking to my wife the other, the other day, and I said, who was that man that got struck down by the Lord that got killed? I couldn't remember his name that touched the ark. And so she was able to tell me, and I said, I was embarrassed because I'd forgotten. So I said, okay, I'm going to go back and read the history again. That's where I need to go. So I went to 1 Samuel, read First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and then, of course, after that, Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, yesterday I read Ezra. Now I've got a grandson named Ezra, so that's important to me. But the Lord got a hold of me yesterday about something that I don't know that I'll be able to get out the way I want to. But I'm here today not to preach a sermon. I'm here today to give a word. I believe it's a word from God for our season that we're in. Here's what I believe that the Bible makes clear. Here's what you need to believe as well. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Without a vision, the people perish. Literally, that means without a revelation, a redemptive revelation, the people cast off all restraint. When the people of God cast off all restraint, they quit reading the Word, they quit praying, they quit coming to church and gathering with the saints, etc., etc. You can tell. Those are the people that start on the front row, and by the time they're leaving, they're on the back row. Now, no, no offense to the people on the back row back there, but you know what I'm saying. They sneak right on out of the, out of the house. And uh, so something needs to be happening in, the in that body to keep folks attentive to what God is saying. God is talking. We need to be listening. And that's what I believe this morning. So before we get really started, you can sit down. You don't have to stand up. Here's something that I used to do, and I want to do it today. Let me get my glasses out so I don't misread my own writing. If you have your Bible, just take, take, take it up in your hand. If you got it on your phone, you hold your phone up, I reckon. <laughs> I want you to say this with me. Say, this is my Bible. The authoritative, the eternal, settled forever in heaven, wo Word of God. I am what it says I am. 
I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. Today I desire to hear the Word of God and do it. Today I receive His mercy and the abundance of His grace and of the gift of His righteousness that I might reign in life the life of Jesus. Amen. So now you're ready to receive, aren't you? Because we're not talking out of our imagination, but out of the Word of God. God's talking to us. Listen, here's what the first part of the Word that I had for us. I tried to say it last time we talked together, and, and, and I didn't quite get it out, but I want you to know something. You are something that most of us are not even acquainted with. You are. I was so stirred by that, I wanted to look the word up, are, in the, my exhaustive concordance, but it was only in the appendix. And you know what that is. That's a list of scriptures like this, written like this, even in, the, in that big print, Strong's concordance I got. And so I looked up a lot of scriptures about are, what you are, what you are. But the first thing that really stood out to me about what we are, and this is something that may offend you, but I'm going to quote Jesus. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. The same thing he said about himself in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world, he said. So you literally can say, I am the light of the world and I am the salt of the earth. You can say, I am a holy priest. I am a special person. I am a son of God. <coughs> I am. We're following in the steps of Him who said I am. Amen? See, a lot, a lot of us have gotten to the place, and I said this last time we're together, because <clears throat> I quote the Scripture a lot, O wretched man that I am. He didn't say, O wretched man that I was. But that's in the context of looking at the law, or looking at yourself in the mirror of the law. And when you look at yourself in the mirror of the law, you'll always be wretched. And that's accurate, because in your flesh there is no good thing. So you can say with one statement, O wretched man that I am, but in the light of what the next chapter of Romans 8 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus that negates chapter 7 in light of the law. <coughs> it doesn't negate the law. The law is good. The law is perfect. The law, the law is holy. We're not lawless. Amen. Anti-dominion, I think is what I, that word. We're not anti-law, but God knows we don't stand up and try to compare ourselves with the law because we'll always come up short, we'll always fall way short, and we'll always loathe ourselves in the light of that. Because really the Apostle Paul, if you'll read there in Romans chapter 7, when he goes on to say, he said, So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with my Flesh, the law of sin and death. Isn't that what he said? He's talking about what I do. That's 
what He does. I used to read that in, with my mind, I serve the law of God as a, as a personal great thing, but He's saying that's not right, that, that's not a good thing, because that's what I'm doing. Paul could even boast of saying, according to the law, I'm blameless. How many of us can say that today? Have mercy on my soul. And so the apostle put it in proper perspective. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? So I want you to be able to say, you are. When you get ready to pray, say, Lord, I am. I've been saying this to the Lord recently, and it's been wonderful as I've said it. I bow my knee to Jesus, and by the Holy Spirit I say He's Lord. I say that He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then I've been saying this. I used to say that all the time. Now I say this. And I say, <coughs> by the Holy Spirit, He's my Lord. He's my King. My King of glory. My Lord of glory. You know, something happens in the Spirit when you begin to be able to do that. I come to the Lord to the throne of His grace and I say, Lord, I don't come begging for mercy. I come receiving it. I don't come begging for grace. I come receiving it. <clears throat> Not only just grace, but the abundance of grace. Romans 5, 17, we're going to reign in the life of Jesus through receiving the abundance of His grace and of the gift of His righteousness. So that's where my, my mind has been and my heart has been. And this whole thing that we're doing about seeking God for these last few months since we had the, the fast and prayer, these last five months have been a, a revival for me. Not only am I getting better physically, believe it or not, I'm getting better physically. I'm sleeping much better physically until last night. Yeah. Because I tell you, listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I've been feeling pressure. I told my wife, the last time I preached, and even this time, I felt like something was like that in front of my face. Now, I believe that's resistance of the enemy. But I also believe the Lord permits that because He wants me to press in and press through. Because the enemy has no power to keep us from our destiny. And I believe personally that my destiny is to still proclaim the message of the city church. Because I still believe this, I have not quit believing this, that the next move of God has to be the city church in manifestation. And I'm here to tell you that again today. Some of us say, well, what's the city church? The city church is what Pastor Kevin has been preaching to us about. The mosaic was a wonderful way to describe that. But the city church is made up of every born-again believer. Every believer, by the way, every born-again believer has faith. Did you know that? Don't try to get faith anymore. Everybody's talking about you didn't have faith. Don't you? you rebuke that when somebody says that to you. You say, i got faith. I've got the spirit of faith. I've got a measure of faith. All I need is, the, is a faith the size of a mustard seed. The abundance is not what's important. It's the fact that I got it and I use it. That's what's important. Every one of you have faith. You have the gift of faith, according to Revelation, I mean, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. To every man, everyone is given a measure of faith. Every born-again man. That's what he's talking about. Because not, not all men have faith, that's what Paul said in one of his epistles, because not everybody's born again. 
But all who are born again have the residence of faith. Not the gift of faith as we talk about the gift of faith in the nine gifts of the Spirit, but the gift of faith as it pertains to the new birth. All right? So that's where you are. Now here's what I believe is happening in this day. Here, and I'm going to show you from the book of Ezra what I was looking at. I believe the Lord is calling His church to the place of the building of the church of God. Not in Tennessee somewhere, the headquarters, but the church of God. The church of Christ. The church of Jesus Christ. The church of the Lord. The body of Christ. See, I believe what the Lord is doing in that context is not just a generic everybody's in, but I believe it's for everybody that's pressing in. See, because you got born again so you could press in. See, I want to remind you once again today, you are chosen. You are accepted. You are blessed. And all of that happened in Christ before the foundation of the world. When you received Jesus, you became that. That's what you are. But it's sort of like the deposit. It's like the Lord took our spirit and deposited it in the bank and said, now I want, the, I want the interest back on that deposit. And as you receive that interest, I receive that interest because what belongs to me belongs to you and what belongs to you belongs to me. Does that make sense to anybody? That's very important you get a hold of that. Listen, because if you keep trying to beg God for acceptance and beg God for blessing and beg God that you know, He would choose you, then you're, you're not in faith. You're only in faith when you can say, Lord, you have accepted me. First of all, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2 says, You have blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as you chose us before the foundation of the world. You have accepted us in the Beloved. That's what you are. And so we need a people who will come in prayer and say, This is where I'm standing. This is how I'm believing. And we're coming not to beg God to come move, but we're saying, Lord, you're going to move on our behalf because we're your people. Amen. I remind you again of something. Some people disagree, but I, I, I believe this. Sodom and Gomorrah did not burn up because of the presence of wickedness. I hope the pastor believes this. But they were, they were destroyed because of the lack and the presence of righteousness. It was only going to take a, few, a handful of righteous to save the whole cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's, God's not looking for the popular vote or the great multitudes. I'm reminded that David, I mean Jonathan, David's good buddy, covenant brother, the son of Saul, remember him, Jonathan? His sword, his armor bearer. I'm reminded what he told him on an occasion when they were about to fight the Philistines. He said, God can save by many, and God can save by few. Listen, I want to say it again. Let's go on record. God's going to end this thing on a high note. We're going to win. We're not going out of here, out of the earth at the rapture, look back and say, thank God that's over. We're going out with a high hand. How do we know? Because the children of Israel came out of Egypt with a high hand. Not feeble, not one feeble one among them. 
They, des- they really des- destroyed Egypt. They had all the gold and silver they needed because they collected it back wages, you know, for 400 plus years of slavery. So they weren't stealing it. The Lord said, you, you gather that up. That was all what was used for the, for the temple, remember, and their offerings. And so they went out with a high hand. So what we're, what we're looking for, I believe Pastor Baird is looking for, the, the pastors are looking for, we're looking for the church to be a glorious church. My prayer is, Lord, let you be exalted through your, your church, the glory of your church. Your, your, let your church be exalted to glory, this glorious church without spot or wrinkle that will be holy and without blemish before you in love that you may use us to grace those who see and hear us, to believe and know that Jesus Christ is God Almighty come in the flesh, the Savior of all men, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who's gone into heaven, is coming again, going to reign forever. Somebody say forever. forever. Meanwhile, back at the earth, we're being called to put in place the platform for the Lord to do what He wants to do in the earth in this hour. That's the message of Ezra, I believe. I was looking at Psalms 127 once again. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchmen awake in vain. Listen, he goes on to say, he said, it's futile for you to go to bed late, get up early. Well, then he said this, and I said, I have to repent. He said, he gives his beloved sleep. I missed that last night. But I tell you, the Lord stirred me with something that had, I wanted to make certain that I was able to say what I wanted to say today, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't get through with all of this. But I want us to turn back over to the, before you do that, don't turn back over there. First, I forgot, I want to say this to you. Ephesians 2, verses 21 and 22, verses 20, verse 22 especially says, that God is making a habitation of us for His Spirit. God doesn't want to come with a visitation. He wants to come with a habitation. You know what that word means? I was excited to rediscover this as I studied it this past week. The word habitation comes from a root word which means to cohabitate. Most of us know what cohabitate means. That's, that, that, that is the, the nature of relationships with, that are honored by God that reproduce cohabitation. That's what God wants with us. He wants to cohabit with us. See, we, we don't understand when God joined His Spirit to our spirit, it was for the purpose of cohabitation. He, the Bible says that when He rose from the dead, He, rose, he arose as the Spirit of life. He became a, a living, a spirit of life. The first man was made a, a, a soul, which means he was made a... Oh, I'm, about to, I'm about to forget what he made him. A living soul. But when he raised Jesus from the dead, he made him a life-giving spirit. Amen? So I want to be able to let us understand the context of what I believe that Ezra is, being, is speaking to us as in this day. Ezra was used by God to talk to the children of Israel after the 70-year captivity. You remember that? Most of you don't remember it. I hardly remember it myself. I just compare Scripture with Scripture. I wasn't reading any commentaries about 
background. Sometimes that really helps, but I can't even find my commentaries. I feel like I've lost them. All the floods, you know what I'm saying? You can only pack your books just so many times, and sometimes they go where you don't even know where they are. But that's where Ezra begins. Turn to, turn, turn to the book of Ezra now and let me show you this. We literally want to go through the whole book of Ezra. But we don't have time. Hold on. Here's to you. Bless you. Are you in Ezra? Are you in Ezra? I was so glad when I finally got my smartphone I could do that. I look so smart. Verse 1, are you there? Well, look at that. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now listen, this is not supposed to be just preaching. This is a word. And so I'm going to try to cover it quick because I don't want to leave here without getting it. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, that's very important, by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus. You know, the interesting thing, it didn't say Cyrus was seeking God. It didn't say Cyrus knew God. As a matter of fact, I can show you over in Isaiah chapter 45, the Lord said concerning Cyrus, He said, Even though he does not know me, I have chosen him. Leave your finger there. Turn to Isaiah 45. Let me show you that. Some of you look like maybe it might be strange if you ears. Verse 5, or excuse me, verse 4. For Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. I'm the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. The choosing of Cyrus was not Cyrus's choice. It was God's choice. And listen, by the way, this is just something a little off that's not biblical, but how many of you know the chapter divisions are not inspired? But someone has pointed out an interesting little point here, and this is not political, this is just rumors, I'm just rumoring. What number is the president? Forty-five. Whenever you hear the word forty-five, say, bless forty-five. Bless 45. I hear other people saying other things. I'm going to say, bless 45. Amen? So Cyrus was chosen by the Lord for the purpose of what? After the 70 years, they were going to build the house of God. Isn't that right? Look at chapter 2. To confirm what we're talking about, it says, Now these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity. The captivity was 70 years. The children of Israel were separated from their homeland and from Jerusalem, whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried away. 
By the way, I missed verse 5 back over in chapter 1. Look at that as well. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites with all those whose spirits God had moved. Now we assume that here's, here's some folks that have been seeking God. Their spirits were moved. Isn't it good to know that your spirit can be moved? Isn't it good to know that if you seem right now unmovable that God can come and move your spirit? This morning I was talking to my wife right before I went to take a shower. And I was talking to her about this and she was trying to have devotions and I was interrupting her. And I said, you remember when we had the great outpouring in 95, God used a man named Earl Cox. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly in that time because I'd have wanted to see this for many, many years. And the Lord said, see, I want to show you I can choose anybody I want when I want. And I said, Lord, I want to be among that group where you choose because I don't want to miss what you're doing. And when I said that, the Holy Spirit came on me and I began to weep, really. And then I started singing, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. I want to be among those where their spirits will be stirred. The only folks that are going to have stirred spirits are those who are seeking the people who are seeking God. What God does outside of the body is a whole different ballgame. And the Cyrus was a whole different ballgame. I want you to see that. Listen, I want you to, see, I want you to understand this. Now, I believe that Pastor Kevin was being as apologetic as he could be. How many of you know President Trump is rough around the edges? Yeah. How many know that God wasn't looking for a deacon? He wasn't looking for a preacher. He wasn't even looking for a religious man. He found somebody that literally didn't even know him. Now he's getting to know him as best I can see, but of course he still has some rough edges that need to be sanded off. Every now and then I find some of those rough edges on myself. I don't know about you. Anyhow, I don't want to get into that. I don't have a confession service. Y'all see him this past week when he said, now you get your blanks out there and vote. Did you, just, did you see that? I thought, my land, have mercy. I've never heard a president talk like this in my whole life. You're talking about being non-presidential. But listen, here's what I believe. In spite of who Donald Trump is, and I, and I honor the man, and I respect him as our president, and I respect the office, but in spite of who he is, God put his hand on that man. I want you to know, according to the record, after 18 months, this is not political, this is fact. He's done more in terms of, the, of building the church up than Ronald Reagan ever did. The reality was Ronald Reagan didn't really do the church much good. That's not to disrespect Ronald Reagan. He was a great economist, a great president, the greatest one we'd had prior to this coming to Donald Trump. And uh, so I'm not, you know, sort of like Caesar, I'm not here to praise him. I'm here to point something out very seriously. I believe God is about to do something in the earth that is going to be phenomenal because I believe the calendar shows it. Does anybody know what May 18, 1948 is? I asked Syria, and she said she called it the independence of Israel. 
But the reality is, is May 14, 1948 was the birth of a nation that had not existed as a nation, only as a people, but not as a nation for close to 2,000 years or more. And so when the Lord, after the 70-year captivity, by the way, we just celebrated 70 years. I want to make certain I say that. May 14th was 70 years. Now let me make a disclaimer. I am not either a replacement theology person, the church replaced Israel, nor am I exalting Israel to the place of a divinity in a different form than ours, a different salvation than ours. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Amen? But I can say this, and I can be challenged by this, be glad to be challenged by it, but I believe that, that, that Israel is a, is a parallel to the church. However the church is doing, that's how Israel is doing, or however Israel is doing, that's how the church is doing in terms of the economy of God. Listen, I still believe it's in place when whoever blesses Israel is blessed, whoever curses Israel is cursed. I still believe that. You know why I believe that? Because it's still in the book. And I don't see any place where it says, no, it's not happening like that anymore. Just quit it. <laughs> no. It's like a five-fold ministry. Nowhere in the Bible it says, that's, that's quit. It's over. And it's nowhere. It's still five-fold ministry. So if the Bible has said something and hasn't changed it, then we need to believe that. There are a lot of things that have changed as it pertains to God's dealing with men, but not, nothing has changed in the Word. That's why I had you declare that it's, it's authoritative and eternally settled forever in heaven. If God said it, somebody, huh? That settles it. Well, you said, you said, I believe it, right? And, when, and we say, you know, settle whether you believe it or not. <laughs> Amen. You've got to get real, get real cocky you know, after a while and see. Excuse me for another drink of water. Hallelujah. Let me go down my notes. Maybe I can get through better. All right, chapter 3. Just to really reemphasize verse 1, And when the seventh month had come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people, listen to this, underline this and circle it, the people gathered together as one man. I go on record as saying to you, for the last 43 years I've been saying to Charleston, let's gather together as one man. We don't have many churches. They have one church. Made up of a whole lot of cell groups, if you will. The Lord's put the body of Christ together as He wills. Amen? Pastor Kevin again did a wonderful job in talking to us about that. But we are one man. Jesus. If we're the body of Christ, we're one man. Not a bunch of folks out here doing our own thing. The church is not 
stones and concrete or mortar. The church is us. You're the church. That's why it's important for you to say, I am the salt of the earth. Somebody said, you ain't nothing. I, I'll, let me let you know something. I am the light of the world. Somebody said, well, I wouldn't dare do that because I'd be embarrassed because they might see my life at a certain time and, and you know, whatever. Well, remember, you're the light of the world not because you're that so important. You're the light of the world because you're the body of Christ. You belong to God because He decided it, not because you decided it. You got to decide it because He decided it. Does that make sense to anybody? So I, I, one, one thing I, I learned as I began to read the Bible, I'm so glad to find out God's not withholding any good thing from me. God has given me all things that pertain to life through Jesus Christ. He's given me all things that pertain to godliness and life through Jesus Christ. He's withholding no good thing. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Nothing He's withholding. Listen, the only condition that we have before God is the condition of the exercise of our faith. You cannot exercise your faith and live in sin. The exercise of your faith is negated. David even said, King David said, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. That's why a long time now, I've been, when I pray about my life every day, I pray about my insides, my thoughts, my imaginations, my meditations, as well as my words and actions and attitudes. You know what I finally concluded? God sees anyhow, so I might as well just go ahead and talk to Him about it. I've decided, too, that God's not impressed with my flesh or my humanity. But yesterday, as I was staring at my little grandbaby and said how much I love you, little baby, I said, I said Lord, you love me more than that. And I was so full of love out of my land, I could have just melted on the floor. She's three months old and already got control of my life. And, and she's very discerning because uh, right, right, 10 times in a row I did this, guys. 10 times I said, Papa's funny, isn't he? He smiled, baby. Three months old. Papa's funny, isn't he? He smiled. Baby. <laughs> I, did, I, I did it 10 times because I thought it was an accident. Every time she smiled, which meant she was discerning. <laughs> she was on the way out of the house in a little carrier and she was asleep, about to fall asleep. She had her little eyes closed and about to fall asleep. And the last thing I said to her was, Papa's funny, isn't he? And she half asleep said, Isn't it wonderful? This is our first of seven grandchildren we can go visit when we want to go visit. Right down the street. All right, let's see, where are we? This is good. They gathered as one man to Jerusalem. I mean, Pastor Kevin, get, get the hold of this. This is wonderful. Here's where your message is. Then Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of the God of Israel. What, what's the pastor been saying to us? We've been building an altar. We've been building an altar. It's important that we understand that this thing that we're after with God, to be right in the middle of His will, to be right in the middle of what He's doing, we're building an altar. And when things begin to happen, we'll be right where the altar is so that nothing will pass us by. Pass me not, O oh, gentle Savior. 
And I'm not talking about kumbaya, but I'm talking about man, don't pass me by. This is hallelujah. I want to get involved in what and be involved in what God's doing. Now, it says here as well down in let's see, yeah, verse six, chapter three. From the first day of Seth to the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. I want you to see the sequence. They were commissioned by the king, God stirring him up to build the house of God. Because of the stirring, I believe, of what God did with the people of God, the, the priests, etc. But the foundation still had not been laid. And then all of a sudden, we've got a problem. Let's go on down. Let's look at verse 13. So, the, so when the foundation was laid, it said that the people, are you verse 13, could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud voice, shout, and sound was heard afar off. The sound was heard afar off. I'm telling you, when God does what He wants to do in these next months and years, I believe, as this thing gains momentum, there's going to be a shout that's going to be heard around the world. I don't believe it's going to be a secret outpouring. I believe it's going to be a universal outpouring, a move of God. Listen, how many of you know that God's looking for a big harvest? That's why he, pray, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You are those laborers. And the greatest place that you'll labor in this hour right now is as the pastor leads us to be laboring in prayer. He wants everybody to get up and pray out loud in front. I know that. But I know for me, one for one, I, I, I say to myself, they hear enough of my loud mouth, so I'll just stay right back here and pray by, right, you know, by myself. I'm with them, but I'm praying quietly. I, I've, I've enjoyed that. Don't look at me strange. I, I've enjoyed that. I don't know if you know this, but sometimes preachers don't enjoy getting up. Because so many times, as Pastor Kevin said the other day, he made this admission and I agree with him. Sometimes we just have to get up because it's our job. Hope that doesn't surprise anybody. You know, we don't roll out of the bed every morning and say, Whoa, I'm a great man of God. Maybe we ought to. I don't know. Maybe that'd be good. I'll tell you what I'm, I'm beginning to once again do is say, I've been anointed to preach the gospel. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for He's anointed me. You're anointed ones. He's anointed you to do something. And whenever you find out what it is He's anointed you to do, that's when you'll start living in the true living sense of, uh, in the flow of God. And you'll want to be among a people that are wanting to find that flow of God. And that's what this book of Ezra is all about. Are you staying with me? I hope I'm not losing you anywhere. All right. Let's see, I jumped to chapter 3, didn't I? Chapter 6, I think that's very important. I didn't get everything I wanted to do. Let's stay right here. My, see, I got my Bible marked up. I, I don't have my smartphone marked up, but I got my Bible marked up. Verse 9, Then Jeshua with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one. Do you need to circle that again? Arose as one. 
to oversee the working of the house of God. Verse 10, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and Levites, to, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord. God's just trying to get us together to pray and praise. I believe He's also getting us together to pray, praise, and prophesy. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a meeting like that? That's what they were wanting to do here. All right, stay with me, y'all, because we, we, we need to wind this thing up. I want you to see it. I want, I, I, required reading this month, this week, is to read the book of Ezra and meditate in it. So verse 3, chapter 4, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel, said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our, for our God. I like that. Y'all just keep your hands off. We alone will, will build to the Lord God of Israel as Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Isn't that interesting? They're committed to the command of Cyrus whose spirit was stirred, a man that wasn't even, quote-unquote, a, a godly person. They tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in the building and hired counselors. I mean, listen, let me tell you, let me tell you something. Whether you realize this or not, people who step in the place of leadership in the body of Christ, they're people that are trying to discourage them. You know, you know, what, you know what the greatest discouragement is for the people of God? I know this might surprise you, but here's, here, here's the response that's the most discouraging. We've tried that before, and it didn't work. We got that not long ago, Brother Kevin and I did in a meeting that I was in with him. We tried that before. Well, listen, it's time to try it again. Because the last time you tried it may not have been the season. But now is the season. I'm, saying, I'm coming to you today to tell you that now is the season for the building of the house of God. The city church, if you will. But the, but the word came to these guys... Jerusalem is a rebellious place. How many know that we're getting that reputation? As not just our house, but the church at large is getting the reputation that we're a, we're a troublesome people. One of our candidates on the other side of the aisle, I'm trying to best not mention names, remember, said, we'll not mention if it's a woman or oh yeah, well, it was Hillary Clinton. She said this. <laughs> she said, you remember, I don't know if you remember this, she said, Christians... I heard it with my own ears. wasn't quoted back to me. Saw it on video. Christians were going to have to change. That's not being political. That's being informative. I'm telling you, when somebody stands up and says Christians have got to change, we got a problem. I'm rebellious. What did you say when the last Sunday you said no king but Jesus? Isn't that what what our forefathers said? No king but Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me get over on here because my time is pretty much gone. Look, look, this is good for you. This is good holiness preaching here in chapter 6. Verse 21, The children of Israel who had returned from the captivity 
ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So they picked up the work again. You get that in the story. Amen. Verse 10, chapter 7 said, Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes, etc. One of the great reasons this, this move of God took place in Jerusalem had the house of God built in it and Jerusalem ultimately, to go to the book of Nehemiah, ultimately had a wall built around it for security, except the Lord keep the city, remember? So Ezra was responsible for the house being built. Nehemiah was responsible for the wall. Nehemiah was a governor. He was a, he was a secular individual, if you will, even though he was a great man of God, sort of like Daniel was a great man of God, but he was secularly employed, even politically employed. Amen? And uh, so this is so they got back to the building of the of the house of God. Verse twenty seven, chapter seven. Blessed be the blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. I want you to get as you read the book of Ezra. I want you to get God's turning the heart of a king. God's turning the heart of, a, of the leader of the nation, the, the great empire of that day. God did it. God turned the... Just, you imagine he probably took him by surprise. One morning he woke up and said, all of a sudden I just feel so different about Israel. All of a sudden I've got this love for Israel. All of a sudden I just really would like to see the Israelites have the house of God rebuilt. I don't understand what happened, but I, I just feel like that's what we ought to do. Can you imagine that? Some of you look at me like maybe you can't imagine that. I don't know. I can't imagine it either, really, when it comes right down to it, because it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Now, now, Pastor Kevin, here's an outline for you. I want you to preach next. No, I'm just teasing. Yeah, chapter 9. And when I read this, I thought of Pastor Kevin. We got an outline. Verse 8 says, For now... And now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in His holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but He extended mercy for us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us. First R. To repair the house of God, our God, second R. To rebuild its ruins and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. There are the three R's for the outline. But, now see, Pastor Kevin can take those two verses and preach for an hour and a half. He's, he's quite the student of the Word. Verse 4 in chapter 9 says, Everyone who trembled at the word of God, words of God of Israel... Assembled to me. All those who trembled at the word of God. You'll find that in this day when this thing begins to find momentum. People that are hungry for the word of God will assemble together to teachers and ministers who preach the word of God. Right. Yeah. So we have for, you know, we for a season, probably for the past 20, 30 years, 
we've been gathering, someone said it like this, and I, I thought it was a good statement. We've been gathering the saints to give them sermonettes. And all we're doing is making Christianettes. Isn't that true? We, 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 in many places, we gather the saints of God for an hour and 10, an hour and 15 minute service. It reminded me of the one hour dry cleaning. You remember that advertisement? Are you old enough to remember that? The one hour dry cleaning. Get them in and out in an hour, we'll dry clean them. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because we need to be cleansed by the washing of the water of the Word. God's people need to hear the Word. There's a famine in the land of the hearing of the Word of God. That's quoted from the minor prophets. I forget which one. But there was a famine in the land from hearing the Word of God. Today, I'm doing my best, even though it's pretty pitiful, to give you the Word of God. Amen? You're not going to amen that? Yeah. Amen, brother. When I first started preaching in Pentecostal churches about 30, 40 years ago, I always knew I was in trouble when I'd hear somebody say, Jesus, help him. I still need Jesus to help me. Let, let, let me show you this. Turn to Daniel. Daniel is right after Ezekiel. This is, this is important for us to get a hold of. Chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah. Won't you see that? The books are the books that pertain to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a pretty long book, so his book was books. Amen? Amen. Somebody say amen. But it was Jeremiah. The same thing in Ezra. It was Jeremiah. So this is what they were talking about. The captivity, 70 years. Now it's time to build the house of God. I just want to say to you again, 70-year anniversary, May 14th, this past May 14th. The interesting thing is, some of you won't remember this, but today is 55 days from that time. So we, we entered the 56th day today that, that, that they became a nation. Now for me that's very interesting. I told Jan there's that 56 again because of the dream I had back in 19, uh, 1994. Flight 56. Whenever I, I'm always counting days, always counting months, always counting years because flight 56 is very important. God keeps talking to me, and maybe this is what he's doing today. Maybe just talking to me. Maybe I'm just talking to you and hoping that you hear. But I, but, but I believe that this parallel thing that's happening with Israel and the church, it's time for us to raise our eyes up and say, listen, our redemption is drawing near. God's winding this thing up. 
He's winding it up, winding it down. Daniel said there is an end, of, end that's been appointed. It's just not going to go on indefinitely. There is an end that's been appointed. Somebody said, do you know that end? No, I don't know that end. Even Jesus didn't know the end. He said only the Father knew. You know why he didn't tell Jesus? Why the Father didn't tell Jesus? Because he knew he'd tell us. <laughs> friends tell friends things, you know. So, so this thing is winding down. He said, when you see these things, chapter 24, Matthew makes it real clear. When you see these things come to pass, lift up your heads and look up because your redemption is drawing near. You watch and pray. That's what Mark said in his gospel. Watch and pray that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that are coming upon the earth. Somebody said the rapture doctrine is an escape doctrine. Well, I don't know about your doctrine, but I'm glad for the escape doctrine because that means the end has come. And that means something else, and I don't have time to preach on this, but that means that God's going to deal with Israel in the last week of the 70 weeks. Now, I decided I'd say this on behalf of Pastor Kevin, and he'll, he can chuckle with me. You forgive me for what I believe, and I'll forgive you for what you believe, especially as it pertains to end time or eschatology. Amen? But I, but I, I believe this morning that I, that I have something clear to me about this 70 years and that stuff is beginning to happen, and it's going to be compounded. And it's out of the book of Jeremiah that we get the confirmation of the 70 years. That's how Daniel knew to fast and pray. So now when the pastor leads us, we know now this is not just a good idea that he had, that this is the word of the Lord, this is the direction of the Lord. We need to fast and pray. We need to turn with all of our hearts to God, make certain we don't miss this thing that's coming on the face of the earth. Amen. If this were a class, I'd say any questions, but I'm not going to do that. You may ask a question that I'm not too qualified to answer, so I won't do that. But when I was preaching this at my house, it was a whole lot better. Be, be, be <laughs> Isn't it amazing how you can really preach, preach with anointing? I love the chapter 10. He said, now while Ezra was praying, I like that, he said, a very large assembly gathered to him. Amen. So we can count on that happening with us, can't we? I believe so. And by the way, I wanted to say this in light of, because this sounds pretty good to me. If what we're talking about here, about this seven years, is not a sign that it's falling in place, we're going to have to have, or let me just say it like this. Concerning that thing about the seven years that's falling in place, it's either one of two things. It's divine design or, what's the word that I use? It's a coincidence. I tried to get Siri to tell me what perchance mean, but she never could understand what I was saying. It's got to be one of the two about the 70-year cycle that we just celebrated for Israel. Isaiah, remember, said, a nation will spring forth in one day. 
You remember that? You remember why it said that? It said, when Zion began to travail. How, that's us, guys. That's parallel. That's us. We are the living Zion, parallel with the Zion of Israel. I reckon that makes us Zionists. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. But when they began to cry out, when they began to travail, that nation was born. It's going to be the same today. We're not going to tiptoe into this thing. Jesus said the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it, seize it by force and say what I was trying to tell you earlier. It's mine! Well, I hope I can get it. There's no mealy mouth before the throne of grace. There's only the act, action of faith that comes to receive the abundance of grace and the mercy of God. You come because you come by the blood of Jesus. You're not coming by some religious system. You're coming by the blood of Jesus. You have access by grace into this, into this grace, by, by faith into this grace, wherein we stand in, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That hope is not a hope of hope, a hope, a hope, a hope, a hope, a hope. That hope is joyful expectation. Your faith, when exercised in the manner of being bold, come to the throne of God boldly. Isn't that what it says? Come to the throne of God boldly. And you place, literally, you place a demand on what God said. You're not placing a demand on God as, as like you're going to get Him to do something that He doesn't want to do. You're placing a demand on God's Word because you said, I'm in agreement with your Word, and here's what you said. Yeah. See, that's exercise of faith. In spite of the gospel song that said, tears are language God understands. Tears are not the, the, God, the, the, the words. The words are the words of faith. What God said. Amen? And so it's very important. By the way, the word coincidence, you'll recognize this. We use it a lot. A remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. It just happened. I'm going on record. I don't believe that for a moment. May 14th has come and gone. 70 year anniversary has come and gone, but we're just getting started on the building of the house. We're just getting started, as it were, laying the foundation. We're still at the word of the Lord, the great army arising. We're still at that place. And, and, and I just, you know, I wanted to prophesy to Brother Kevin and just say that you, you, you are still the man. In spite of all the questions. In spite of all the, what's been going through your mind. Listen, I hope you don't mind this, but I can look at you and tell something's going on, brother. Because the Lord's put us together, and I just prophesy to you, the man. And I won't, I won't, I, I don't want to shove you, but I can do a a little bit, because God's raised you up for the hour. And listen, it's not going to take many of us, but there's got to be, continue to be the voice crying out, crying out. This is the way. Walk in it. Prepare the way of the Lord. And I, I'm not making Kevin out to be somebody that he's not, and nor, nor am I seeking to put pressure on him, but I can prophet, prophesy afresh. Because I had that in me today. That's really what I want to prophesy and say to you, you're still the man, brother.
the devil is a liar. And every circumstance that has come against you to discourage you, your wife, is for a purpose because the devil knows something's coming down the pipe. He's been around a long time and he's seen this stuff happen before. And he knows when people grab a hold of the altar and won't let go, God gets obligated. Isn't it something to have God obligated? Children of Israel kept crying out. He said, well, I reckon I'm going to go down there and do something. Isn't it interesting? Yet he was stirring them up. He stirred them up and they cried out. He stirred them up and they cried out. He said, now I reckon I need to go do something. He got them to pray. There's something about the stir in the spirit, see? Everybody stand up.